How can this be happening? How will it be so? We have probably all echoed questions like that at one time or another. How can this be happening? Just this last week, the last seven to ten days, this is some of the things I have experienced. I have experienced the funeral of a single mom who lives in our neighborhood, who passed away unexpectedly, leaving a 13 and 14-year-old boy, boys that I have coached through Little League behind. Another man searching for his next career step was finding closed door after closed door for a year, and then all of a sudden had not just one, but many amazing opportunities, and he was able to step in to one of those. I'm journeying with another person who has placed their faith in God and turned down an actual great career opportunity, maybe an opportunity that they should have said yes to, but she has conviction that God is doing something and that she is to wait, that God is going to do something with her passions and gifts and call that just wasn't that other opportunity. And so her and her family sit in that balance. A good friend of mine moved away this week. And not to mention all the things we encounter on the news around the world, just the havoc and uh, the calamities and and so much pain and suffering. Whether it's something good, unimaginably good, or something very hard and quite the opposite, stress, anxieties, disaster, even traumatic life events, questions like how can this be clamor in our minds. We've had them. Maybe you are experiencing and having those kinds of questions right now. Perhaps you even know of others that are asking those or very similar questions this very day because of what's going on in their life. Questions are not uncommon in the scriptures. They're not uncommon. And I think questions have the power to reveal so much about our lives, so much about our faith, so much about what God is doing in us and through us and in the world. For a little extra credit, if you want some Advent extra credit, I'm not sure who you turned that into exactly, but some extra credit would be pick one of the Gospels. And if you're an overachiever, you can do all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But just start with one and write down every question that you encounter as you go through each chapter, each verse, no matter who says it, no matter what the question is, but just write down those questions. Because I think you would be amazed at what you discover and what you see. Because Yogi Berra would say, you have to look at it to see it. So write it down and see what you see. But Mary is another character in the Christmas story that we must pay attention to. And she also has her questions. Orn Wearsby says that people tend to go on one of two extremes when it comes to Mary. Either they will magnify her and elevate her so high that Jesus becomes secondary Or the other extreme is to just push her aside altogether, to ignore her, to fail to give the respect that she deserves as one of the great heroes of the Christian faith. I say let's learn from Mary. Let's extend respect and see how her question that she is going to ask touches our lives. In Luke's account of the Christmas story, in chapter 1, verse 26, we read this. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. You will, rece- you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. We learned several things about Mary from this text. And I'd like to go into a little bit of the context, context and background just so we can really see what's going on underneath these words. As we know, Mary is a young Jewish girl, probably an early teenager, middle school years as those kids that just left right in that sweet spot. She is from the tribe of Judah and the family line of King David himself, very significant. She is a virgin, speaking to her virtue and her faith. Mary believed in God and both her and Joseph have a good reputation for their faith in Yahweh. She is engaged to Joseph, a modest carpenter, which means that they are as good as married. You see, in Jewish culture, engagement was part of the marriage process, and actually a certificate of divorce would have to be issued if you were to break an engagement, much different than today. Engaged couples were even referenced as husband and wife during their engagement. Mary was poor probably among the Anoim, the poorest of the poor in their community. And she was waiting, like the rest of the Jews during that time, for a Messiah and a kingdom, a king who would restore Israel like that of King David, which means Caesar would be dethroned and Rome would not be in power. But for hundreds and hundreds of years, Israel had not had a king. And even though they were back in the promised land, they did not own it. They did not own it. So this hope, this messianic hope was just building to a fever pitch in the first century. Second thing I want you to notice is just why Mary was so troubled by the angel's greeting. I mean, this is Gabriel, right? This is a big time angel who comes and actually brings good news. It says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Like, you would think that would bring a smile to someone's face, maybe even a sense of excitement. But the scriptures say she was greatly troubled. 
not filled with warm fuzzies and full of smiles. Does that seem a little strange? I mean, as I read that, I always think like, what's up, Mary? Like, this is kind of a cool thing. But yet she's greatly troubled. Again, context might help us with this. Mary is a devout Jewish woman. And she likely knew the weight of this word, favor. And as anyone humble might do, she cannot reconcile how she is put in that category as the favored. To have favor means that you have found a special grace with God. It is to have approval, acceptance, and blessing. In the New Testament, the word grace and favor come from the same root word. Mary would have known the word favor from her own scriptures, the Old Testament that the Jews aligned themselves to, and favor was associated with people like Moses and Noah and Joseph, not her carpenter Joseph, like the big Joseph, Samuel, and even Jesus later in his ministry would say he came to proclaim the Lord's favor. We're told in Genesis that God looked upon Abel's sacrifice with favor and Cain's he did not. Gabriel's greeting would have been mind-blowing, mind-blowing for a poor, nobody woman that really carried nothing of consequence in her little town. But what goes through Mary's mind is something quite different than favor. Because even though she would have known all that stuff, the news that the angel brings actually says that Mary is about to become quite unfavored in her community. A betrothed teenager, pregnant before her wedding, and not from even the man that she is engaged to. Whispers of scandal, disdain, pointing would have followed Mary every time she left her home. Shame. She would have been shamed every single day. And not only that, she is from Nazareth, up near Galilee in Samaria. And, and people did not value, at least the Jews in Jerusalem and in Judea, did not value really anything or anyone from Samaria. Not necessarily the recipe for favor, is it? But the angel visits Mary and says, not once but twice, you are highly favored. I think Mary was confused and conflicted. And then the second thing that I would have produced anxiety in her was that who she was going to give birth to. It's bad enough that she's pregnant before her, her official marriage. But then who she's going to give birth to, hear these words again. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The announcement of Jesus' birth follows in line with Old Testament Torah announcements that Mary would have heard in the past to the synagogue as she was growing up. But this announcement stressed three things about this baby that she was going to deliver and have to raise. One was his position, son of God, son of the most high, ruler. It spoke to his authority. 
seated on Israel's throne forever, ruler of a kingdom that will never end. This is not just kingly language, it is language of the king. And then the divine ties, the Holy Spirit will come on you and overshadow you. This would be an unusual kind of boy and really an unusual conception. And I don't know, like I think if you're Mary, it's hard for me, but I'll try to put on my Mary hat. But you're like, how is that going to happen again? We don't talk much about the Holy Spirit in our synagogue and overshadow me and boom, I'm pregnant. Like, how's that going to happen? And when people ask, when I start to show a little bit and I say, well, the Holy Spirit overshadowed me, right, that's going to fly. That's going to help my case as people are pointing and sneering as I walk down the sidewalk. You know, in short, Jesus, this baby she is going to have, is said to be now the promised king in the Davidic line. What the angel is proclaiming is roots that go back to 2 Samuel, to the Psalms, to Isaiah chapter 9 and 11, to Jeremiah chapter 23. This was big, big stuff. The kingdom the angel was describing was the messianic kingdom. It was the hope of all Israel. Then it was just bubbling and shaking for something to happen. You can imagine the flood of emotions then that is going through Mary's mind, personally, what it would mean for her and her society, and then the magnitude of what she was being asked to do as a never-before mom. And so she asks, how can this be? How can this be? But what I do know is that she believed with all her heart that this was from God. Now that question can be understood, I think, in two ways. How can this be could be a question of disbelief, similar like to Zechariah, who we learned about just a week before, who gets a similar announcement from the same angel that he and his wife, even though they are older, are going to conceive and have a child. And this is Zechariah's response to the angel. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, he's saying, it doesn't work like that, angel. But the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true in their appointed time. Could Mary be doubting, like Zechariah, when she says, how will this be? Perhaps. But you know, the angel responds differently to Mary than he does to Zechariah, which leads me to believe that perhaps Mary's question is a little different than the doubting, full of faith question of Zechariah. How will this be could also be a statement of faith. I love how Warren Wearsby explains it. He says, Mary knew what would happen. She did not know how it would happen. Her question was not an evidence of unbelief. Rather, it was an expression of faith. She believed the promise. She just did not understand the performance. How could a virgin give birth to a child? I believe this was Mary's posture. 
even after the angel explains how it would happen, which again would have been unthinkable, it was crazy talk, how do you get pregnant by God when nothing's going on there? Again, unthinkable by human reasons, and it would have led to the disgrace of Mary in her town, but she responds. She responds with the same grace that God has shown her. She trusts, she obeys, and she applies the faith that had been maturing in her all her years since a little girl. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Not so different than this baby who grows into a man who later would say, not my will, but yours be done. There is something about believing the word of God, isn't there? I mean, there's something when it just doesn't make sense, but wholeheartedly, whether it makes sense to you or not, you're going to say, I will believe. Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That takes faith. Not just faith like I kind of believe in my head, but faith is in putting the weight of your life because you have no other option. I love the angel's words in uh, verse 37, and the American Standard Version translates it like this. It says, for no word of God shall be void of power. Do we believe and have faith in the power of God and his word to us? I would confess that I continue to grow in my wholehearted trust in what I know. It's one thing to know it, it's another thing to actually say, I'm going to trust in this, even when it strips me of control, even when I can't do anything about it, I am going to trust and obey. So what do we do with this story? What do we do with Mary's question? What do you do when the unthinkable happens or presents itself in your life? What do you do when God seems to be doing something, whether it's big or even something small, maybe just a little nudge, but something that's going to stretch you, it's going to take you out of your comfort zone? What do you do? What do you do when you're asked to trust and obey and step out in faith? Let's just be real and honest with ourselves. Have you tended to respond like Zechariah, questioning God? with a lack of total commitment and faith because it just doesn't always make sense or you're stretched just a little too far. Does your own ingenuity and, and even pragmatic thinking push the power of God's word out of you? I was just thinking about the last few weeks even that we have celebrated as a church. 51 years has led to this amazing time of taking root for the sake of others and, and, and taking us to a great um, pivot point in the life of this church. But then I was thinking, am I or is anyone else rethinking the, the commitment they put on that card? We were inspired, but now we're a couple weeks out like, ooh, how's that going to be fulfilled? Or maybe you're waiting to even make that commitment because you're just not quite sure. Even though you feel the Spirit nudging you, you maybe haven't made that commitment. Or maybe there's something else, something life-altering, life-changing in some way going on in your life. But yet you fight for control and you just won't let go. And it's just spiraling inside of you and, and creating all of this anxiety. Questions, confusion, conflict. 
they reveal so much about us and our faith and what God is doing in our lives. What questions will you pose when God shows up in your life, in this season or in the days to come? Tracy Bianchi made me laugh last year in one of her Advent messages, and we were talking about it this week, and and she sent me that message, and I, I just I was tickled by some of the questions in, in, in the way that maybe only Tracy in her own snarky way would say. She said, really, God, you want me to curb my angry, me-focused tendencies to truly extend love and grace to that person? Not you, literally, but you know what I mean. Really, God, you want me to end my relationships with some of these kind of bad influences and and, and put healthier influences in my life? Don't you know that those people, they, they validate my behavior and, and make me feel good about myself? Really, God, you have no idea how hard it would be to break some my, my addictions. You have no idea what it would be like to live without this vice in my life. Really, God, if I say yes to your interruptions in my life, my friends, they can mock me. Or maybe they won't be my friend any longer. My life will change. Do you have any idea what that would be like? Really, God, you want me to speak the truth and stand for what is right? Like, that could risk my reputation at work. Really, God, you want me to downsize rather than move up? Really, God, you want me to sacrifice for the sake of others? Don't you know how hard that will be? And how much I need all the time and resources I can get? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a brilliant German pastor and theologian whose life was taken by Hitler just days before World War II ended. And I love his insights into this passage. In a a book that is a collection of his Christmas sermons, he wrote this on December 17, 1933, reflecting on the questions and confusions that come when God is active in our life. He says, where our reason is offended, where our nature rebels, where our piety creeps anxiously away, there, precisely there, God loves to be. There he confuses the understanding of the clever. There he offends our nature and our piety. There he will dwell and no more can we deny him. And now only the humble can believe in him and rejoice that God is so free and so wonderful that he works miracles when the children of men despair. He has made the lowly and humble to be lifted up. That is the wonder of wonders, that God loves the lowly, the poor in spirit. As Mary would say in her song, God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God in the humble state, that is the revolutionary, passionate word of Advent. I would summarize in humility, Bonhoeffer like this, God is present. He's all so present in the questions and the confusion. For there, in that place, our pride and our control become useless, and we learn the humble posture of a servant before their master. It is there that God does his best work, if only we would believe. Friends, Advent is no place for spectators or admirers of a manger and a baby soon-to-be king. 
we are invited into the very movement of God himself. Let us play the part that God gives us in his story. May we echo those words of Mary, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And may our words also be of this baby who grows to be a man, the Messiah King, who says, not my will, but yours, Lord, be done in my life. Friends, may Mary's question, her statement of faith, how will this be, be your refrain as God breaks into your life this Advent season and in the days to come? Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you humbly, but also with expectation and with questions. God, we know you are present. Help us to have faith in you, to believe in you, to put the weight of our life into your promises. And God, we commit ourselves. We commit ourselves for your will to be done in our life. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.